but no, we'll wait for you to get into character because this is worth it. Let's see it. <clears throat> wow, a transformation. I felt that. Ah. You merely adopted the podcast. I was born in it. Molded back. I didn't see the podcast until I was but a man. Until then, it was nothing but blinding. <laughs> and that's my Bane impression. <laughs> oh, wow. that's That was great. That was great. I might so have picked the audio a lot there, but yeah. No, that was uh, that's Bane checking out our podcast for the first time. Do you know the that um that Harley Quinn cartoon, that adult cartoon that stars Harley Quinn? Are you? I'm are aware you, of it. Are you? Aware? I, I haven't okay. seen it. Yeah, I'm aware of it. It's so funny what they did with Bane because they gave him like the comic books look of like the luchador. Yeah, yeah. But he has a very exaggerated Dark Knight Rises um, Bane voice. So oh, so there's, they are somewhere in the middle between them. Yeah. No, it's hilarious. That's though. weird. It's yeah. completely played off as comedic chops. Oh, and it's played off comedically too. That's even just to make it better. Oh, it, yeah. Does it work or is it is it too over the top? Dude, everything is over the top, but it works so well. Like Jim Gordon's a complete psychopath because his wife left him and the Joker's just a, like the whole premise of the show is that Harley Quinn breaks up with Joker mm-hmm. and starts doing her own thing. And Batman's such a loser. Like, he's, like, he's played off as a fucking loser, whiny, rich boy. I don't know. It's hilarious. I've only That's watched weird. clips. That's, yeah, no, I, I'd check that out. That sounds interesting. I've heard nothing but good things about it, though. Ah, that's cool. She, she's getting her, like, she's getting really popular now in media. I know, ever since Suicide Squad. Yeah. That kind of, like, was the... One of the only good things from that movie that came out of it. Yeah, for sure. But, like, if you think about it, the way they portrayed that character was sort of like one of those evolutionary moments in a character's history to where, you know, if you look back at Batman's history, you can pinpoint exact iterations of Batman that were evolutionary to the character. Sure. Yeah. And it's just so weird that such a bad movie houses such an important next step in a pretty popular character's portrayal Mm -hmm. to where it's shot it into popular media. And now pretty much all harley quinns look like the suicide squad harley quinn yeah and it's all like these that's in a way become dc's poster child i think now the the movie slate tv shows now comics like i think a lot of it is gonna ride on her shoulders in a weird way no like do you get that vibe too i don't get that vibe at all like i think here's why i say that here's why i say that You, you look at it since suicide squad came out right and i'll credit this to not the movie, not DC, but to Margot Robbie, like her performance as Harley Quinn in that movie. Because since that came out, right, you got this animated show you're talking about. You got a sequel to The Suicide Squad coming up. You got Harley Quinn's own solo movie, plus a Suicide Squad video game, AAA video game coming out in a year or two. And this is all off shooting off of one of the worst movies of the, like the 2010s. Yeah, but easily. people forget that movie made a fuck ton of money. Yeah, that says a lot about people, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I was excited for out of that movie. movie. I, I was too. The The trailers had me really, really excited as most... Like, you can't fuck up a superhero movie trailer to, like, get people excited, you know? But here, that's where they fucked up, actually. They did fuck up on the trailer because 
I remember in 20, like, whenever it was, 2016 maybe, their first trailer was, like, came out at that time when the DC movies were leaning in fully on the dark Snyder tone and, like, that, that whole vibe. And so that first trailer, which is, I'm going to assume how they shot and intended the tone for the movie to be, was, was along that kind of, kind of like a dark, gritty prison movie, like, that just centered on criminals, not, like, set to Bohemian Rhapsody or anything like that. And then the criticism for BBS comes out, and, and they were just like, yeah, let's do Guardians of the Galaxy instead. Like, we're basically sitting on Guardians of the Galaxy type of characters, like, that kind of potential so let's just remake that. And that's why you get... They literally got the trailer company who made the trailers for the movie, like, afterwards, that had all the pop songs, the Bohemian Rhapsody music and all that. They got them to cut the movie, the final cut of it. So that was pretty, like... if When you watch the movie, it, there's pretty obvious editing, like, nightmarish decisions that they committed to that movie, so... Yeah, we'll just choke it up to the fact that that happened. But yeah, they did get a they did get a good Harley Quinn character uh, portrayal out of that one. Yeah, for the most part, for what she had to work for the with. most part. Anyways, I'll I'll still say Batman is is DC's like that's his man that's their man. But like I'm I if you were to ask women if you were to ask anybody other than like our demographic, I would probably say like Harley Quinn is up there. She's getting up there, you know. Yeah, she's getting well, more. She's getting more screen time than Superman now. Take that in. I know. In, in anything, in anything. Not in anything. I wouldn't say that. In most things. In most things. I'd just say so. she's gotten more popular. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily put her up on the top pedestal of DC characters. In, in I, terms of that's not my belief. Yet. That's not my belief. I'm just saying that's from what I'm observing now. Like that seems to be the trend. It's 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 obviously one is let's put female characters up there but it's also it seems to be she's like a successful character to make property off of it it, it makes me like I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what like what a suicide squad video game is going to be like that's something i never would have thought could be a video game based off those characters so like yeah what, what would that be i guess it's all just pretty interesting well here's one thing for sure and i guess the dc community or what is it organization Anyways, they've tapped into the profitability of Hot Topic customers. So, you know, that's you something go. Marvel will never have. There you go. Yeah. The 420 crowd. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not not us cool 420 crowd. The, the, the other 420 crowd. <laughs> you know? Anyways, uh, welcome to Mythic Morons. I'm Cheney. <laughs> and I'm Sid. Welcome to our show. We're off to a start. We're off to a start here today. And Cheney, tell, tell us what you've been watching this week. What have, what have you been on? Ooh. So I watched a couple things. First and foremost, I have started my annual rewatch of Trailer Park Boys, which is a Canadian icon. It is a legendary show. Not everyone gets it. I understand. Yeah, that. it's a I, I didn't get it until like really recently in university. I started like loving that show a lot. I started liking it in grade nine or so. Like it was like, all throughout high school. Most of our dialect within our within my friend group was all trailer park boys stuff or trailer park boys related um and like i just been, i rewatch it every year because it's just a thing for me now it's just that show that i go back to every year it's like comfort food yeah. you know 
it's a nice it's an easy know, watch and they're good, good characters good. to always catch up with yeah no it, it's weird it's actually well it becomes a home it becomes like a second home that that's like the feeling you get from that show you get yeah. so comfortable with the the trailer park like the setting and just the whole like ensemble of different characters like that that just pop in and out of each episode like it's great the cast is huge now that I think mm. about it, like it's it's cool to go back. I always skip the first season. I don't know why. I just I just don't really like it that much. But the second season is when things start to get really good, and then season four and five are my favorites. I think, but um, just going through and seeing how the ensemble just continues to grow from season to season, where more and more people get involved and more. I, it's one of those shows that benefits from it's long running it's because it has so many callbacks and and reused jokes but not in like a bad way it's just iconic jokes yeah and iconic yeah i was just about to say it's a classic like it becomes an instant classic yeah um so yeah, like the guy it, yelling off camera like have another fucking drink ray and he says that you know at least once a season but yeah. every time he fucking says it it's hilarious yeah so it's just things like that that continue no, exactly. throughout the season and you build this relationship with Sunnyvale, the park itself. Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to get too deep and, and philosophical no, about Trailer Park Boys, you, but you really could. <laughs> that w- I, I was just going to say, like, that was that would be an interesting conversation to get deep into that. Uh, but did, like, there there is a lot of interesting stuff going on there, like, just about the show. And it's it's a it's a very Canadian show, you know, like... I, I compare it a lot to The Office. Like, I guess it's a really easy comparison to make, but it's our version, like our Canadian version of that show and like kind of what it stands for. It's like how a mockumentary is like, you know, supposed to mock a, a certain culture, you know, right? The Office mocks American culture and the workplace culture. And like Trailer Park Boys is it's from the outsider. If you were to look into like what is Northern, like Ontario, like, you know, yeah it's set in nova scotia it's very or or, yeah maybe even outside on i honestly i haven't been outside of ontario other than quebec so i don't even know what my own country is very much like so for somebody like me if you were to ask me like what is nova scotia like i would probably be like yeah it's probably like that you know so it plays highly on those stereotypes but it's it's a little slice of of canada in its own way of the people yeah (laughs) very exaggerated terms but hockey weed and drinking i don't know yeah no simple exactly very simply put listen there's but there's lots elegant. to see outside of ontario i was in alberta for maybe a combined two hours and i saw all i needed to see about alberta when i was flying in on the plane into the edmonton airport there were guys in lifted trucks hitting dirt jumps i could see outside my window outside of the airport or on yeah the, outside just outside the, the airport yeah wow so that's a that's, that's a welcome party that's yeah. welcome to calgary right there like oh yeah and then flying into yellow knife it was fucking cold so that's about oh yeah you actually that. you went pretty much coast to coast almost i guess right like you went all the way up north north yeah why well, went real to, up north yeah the real north the true north yeah what what people really think like canadians look like when you're not from canada like that we all live in polar bear town and and live in igloos and all that i wasn't yeah, even far enough went. north for polar bears which is crazy because were you ever were you in like ever in those situations where you had to or somebody in your group had to carry a gun with you because you were in proximity of polar bears? No, we weren't close enough for polar bears. There were pretty much only black bears around us, but they were all still in hibernation when I went up there. Uh, so no one really needed a gun. But I 
have a, a, a friend who who's stationed out there where I, where I was stationed, but for longer. And yeah, they need to have a, a bear watcher on payroll at the camp. Wow. Yep. Just in case. So that's a even, thrilling job. That's like it, the, the most like fun you're having in your job. You get to kill a bear, I guess. Well, I think they try to scare it off first. Even like that's when true. I eventually go back up there to do some more research sampling, I'm going to have, we have to have a bear watcher with us at all times, which is not exactly comforting but it is comforting in a way i don't know i'd like to see it i guess it would be yeah i'd like to see one not like to get chased by one i guess no i saw one i was up way way up northern ontario lake gooseneck and uh i saw a bear no one in my family believed me we were going up there with my grandma and grandpa and no one just for just for a little camping and well, no it's one not bigfoot me. it's a bear it's not it's not yeah. that it's not out of the odds to see i swear to god i saw a bear it was. Yeah. Great. I don't know. No Come one on. believed me. They still don't believe me to this day. I, I believe you, Cheney. It's okay. I believe Anyways, you. Trailer Park guys, Boys. Guys, we believe Cheney. We believe him. That's right. All right. No, All right. Trailer Park Boys is a fucking fantastic show. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll say that too. Uh, if people haven't seen it, like, what are you doing? Seriously. Put your ass on your couch and watch it. Like, fuck. It's on Netflix. Just fucking watch it. Yeah. If um, if if you're if you're tired of The Office, if you're over the over The Office or something, it's it's like the next show probably second to that and i'm not even kidding jim leahy mr leahy has one of the best character arcs i've ever seen in any television show and he is so well acted rest in peace oh man yeah rest in peace johnny so um he's incredible he's the greatest drunk on on that isn't he a drama uh, a theater actor yeah he was a he was a classical classical yeah he was a classical theater actor and he did like Shakespeare shows and stuff. And then he got cast for Trailer Park Boys and he ended up like really enveloping <laughs> this goofy character. Who I thought up... you were going to say really committed. Like it looks like he really committed to it. Yeah, he did. Who knows we... if he if he ever went through some like dark drinking days or something. Like I, I wonder like how he how he separated himself from that because that character is so it's just Jim Leahy's just Jim Leahy, you know? Fun fact. All the, well, this is probably obvious, but all the all the white liquor, in Mister Leahy's uh, arsenal of liquor in his liquor cabinets was all water, but all the brown liquor mm. was all iced tea. So he'd just be sipping on iced tea all day long. Yeah. So that's how. They but it's do such that. a convincing drunk, man. He's such. Oh, a, yeah. He was such a convincing drunk, like to every like just to every point, like he was all over the place. It was great. Mister Leahy, you're pissing your pants. I don't know that it's just it's just so it's it's a weird he's my favorite character because he's he's played off as like this villain asshole goofy character drunk who is in a gay relationship with his um his assistant to the supervisor Randy which is actually like one of the first gay couples on TV I'm pretty sure yeah what a what a landmark or like a hallmark fucking tv moment right there and this show is old as fuck like that the, yeah canada canadian tv was out here doing this bro we didn't need we didn't need it to become trending or popular to, no, to uh, do shit like that and no, it's the right way to do here. it too it's never it's played the right off way to as... do it oh it's never played off to be to be such a flashy thing it's just it's never even like pointed at or made aware of you know it's just it's just there it's yeah. the fact that they're a gay couple is just as normal as a fact as norm, um, any other relationship in the show. I just love the one line where he's like, don't listen to him, Randy. You're beautiful to me. 
It's just, it's, I don't know. It's the greatest, greatest fucking show on earth. And fucking Jim Lee, he is my favorite character. He goes through it like an actual yeah. character arc. Like you find out he's quite the tragic character and you kind of feel bad for him in the end. So I don't know. Definitely watch it just for Jim Leahy's arc. And plus he has the greatest scenes, like the funniest scenes, the shit that makes me laugh easily, the most. Easily. Him and Ricky. I love Ricky's, and, uh, yeah. Ricky-isms. The, uh, the sayings that Ricky has, cause he can't come up with the right words. Cause he doesn't have a grade 10. Well, he does eventually get his grade 10 spoilers, but, um, <laughs> he doesn't have his grade 10. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, anyways, so I've just been rewatching trailer park boys. Uh, I watched yeah. the hateful eight Quentin Tarantino's eight film. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So out of, you've probably seen most of his movies by now, right? Yeah, you except for Once Upon a Time. I haven't watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet. I really should get on that. I don't know yeah, how. Yeah, that's yeah. I that's definitely like once you once you've gone through, it, then um, Once Upon a Time is a good cap of his cap off of his filmography. But anyways, regardless, like that. Well, he's one making aside, one more, isn't he? He is making one more. Yeah, yeah. He he's making. He says his last one. I don't know about that, but I, I hope it's on his last one. But even still, once when you watch Once Upon a Time, it feels. Um, it feels like it, this. He could have said, "This is it. Let this is my last movie, and and be done with it." This takes a lot of his like his traits and stylistic traits of a filmmaker, and just his own interest that he likes to put in his own in his own movies, like reimaginings and and old school Hollywood and stuff like that. So it's very classic Tarantino, and it's played off almost like a big finale of sorts. So I'm there was rumors that his next one or which would be his last one was going to be a star trek movie yeah i hope not which it's not he i think he confirmed that it's not going to be star trek anymore but he did go as far to write it um so i thought it was funny and in an interview he kind of said this like the like he was also aware of the irony which is that like how funny would it be that his first nine movies were all like independent self-work like self-works and then his last movie is his big budget studio star trek like you know, like it's like his whole career. Like he he was saying it like in an ironic way that was like, oh yeah, I've, it's all led up to this point where I make a studio movie, and then it's just his last one. It's like a funny Star Trek. Anyways, yeah, like if you if you find that kind of a interview clip on YouTube, it's he talks a bit about his concept. I think for that Star Trek movie, and it was like it was based off an old classic episode of Star Trek. Anyways, we're getting into the weeds of Star Trek, but I wanted to ask you, how would you put up Hateful Eight to his his other movies? Well, hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, let me ask you first, I guess. Did you like it? Did you like Hateful Eight? Oh, I fucking love Hateful Eight, man. Was it your first viewing or have you No, seen no, it? this is my third viewing. Ah, okay. I, I okay, yeah. So you like it a lot Hateful then, eh? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's my second favorite Quentin Tarantino film. Really? Yeah. I, I haven't heard that take before. It's interesting. Glorious Bastards, number one. Hateful Eight, number two. I want to really say Django number three, and then oh, I can't go down the rest of the list yet. I don't know. I can't figure that out. But those are my top three. One for day sure. we'll do that one yeah. day. Uh, yeah. No, that's but that's that's interesting. I, I fucking love Hateful Eight, man. It's it's especially better on rewatches. It's I think so, so much too. better. I on think rewatches. it would it would be much better on rewatches. That I didn't appreciate it my first time around at all. Like I I mean not I wouldn't say at all. I didn't like soak it all in i guess it's hard to soak all in in that first movie so it's an incredibly dense movie oh yeah very dense it's um it's almost like a play 
It's a very it much. is. It's more like a play than it is like. Um, I, actually, I wouldn't say it's more like a play than it is a movie, but it does carry a lot it could of play, play. It could traits. play off as a play. Yeah, you could see it being a play. But like the fact that it's primarily all set in one cabin, like in one setting, mm-hmm. right? Um, and just that, even the the use of the interior space, like how they divide it up and stuff, it it and the character interactions, how they separate themselves off into like factions almost and their interactions become really hostile towards each other it feels really like this contained story like it is a contained story but i don't know what i'm trying to say i guess like everything kind of stacks on to make it every every idea at work stacks on to make it a better movie i think that's what i'm trying to say the fact that it's this big western landscape but that's kind of the backdrop for this really um kind of like shitty situation that these characters are in right yeah um i I just like to imagine being the first person to walk up on that on that um cabin after everything that went down yeah and then and then trying to piece it all together like wouldn't that wouldn't that be the day but like (laughs) i don't know i just there's something about having quentin i think he i think he wanted to challenge himself this movie and like confine himself to a single setting which is yeah. which is really beneficial towards him because is there anyone who writes better dialogue than him? I don't know. Right, right. And he can. So, he's the type of guy that can write himself in a box and then yeah. be fine with it. Like, so, literally. like Quentin's uh, dialogue is is my favorite part of his work. So when mm-hmm. you have a movie that consists about ninety percent of dialogue from really interesting characters, then I can just sort of sit back and listen like a podcast in, in a way it's that's interesting yeah i don't know it's, I a, just, it's a big talkie it's like the old school talkies that's what they call them right yeah the pictures you go into the pictures and it this one it's still a very visual film i shouldn't take out the visual standpoint oh, no. but it it's it really depends a lot on its visuals too it wants to give you this kind of wasn't grand, it um, epic scheme to uh setting to it and just overall vibe would you know it was shot on something special i forget what it was 70 millimeter panavision yeah. i believe yeah 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 Yeah. what what is that you 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 film guy that, camera guy it's basically like uh it's comparable to like imax today but it's it's a wider format it's where imax is taller like if you go see a true imax screens like you're standing in front of a wall that is incredibly tall uh panavision like 70 millimeter panavision would be take that height but stretch the width like to a widescreen format um if you think of lawrence of arabia if you've ever seen like anything from that movie and you see the big wide sweeping shots of like any desert landscape in that um that movie that was filmed on 70 millimeter like for that kind of audience or for that theater experience so just like an incredibly large widescreen uh yeah that's pretty much it yeah and it's beautiful because he he really takes advantage of that with um i've never seen it but it's gorgeous i just already know that i saw i actually saw tenet in 70 millimeter film imax and that was the best like theater watch i've seen in in recent memory uh like it it, it's one of those things where your brain kind of turns off to the fact if you're watching digital or projection kind of like you know, we grew up watching projection movies. It wasn't that digital took over our our entire lives. Like we, our childhood movies were a lot of those 
were projection, but you never thought about them. And I think now with the the mainstream of digital film technology and projection technology, it's it's so noticeable now when a film is projected even in film. Like some people might not like it because there's a noticeable quality shift. Like I'm not going to say downgrade, but it's like a big difference of quality, but a more like, uh, like gritty depth, like gritty is the word because there's a feel to the texture of like what the light is hitting on. Yeah. I I honestly prefer it. There's yeah. I, I think so too. There's better color. There's just a better feel. Um, and there's not like there's no new pr- film projection theaters out anymore, which is sad. You know, they're all being built with just digital, kind of IMAX screens. Yeah, when they when they film with like actual film, is it harder to fuck with like the colors and shit post? Because yeah, it, it feels like whenever it's shot on actual film, it's so much warmer and it feels more real to me than digital which is like usually given like blue or green hues in post and it just Mm -hmm. kind of i don't know ruins things for me i think because it's it depends on how your post-production flow would even go because nowadays what people will do is they'll shoot on film and then they'll convert it to digital right after anyways because you got to edit it on premiere or like you edit on whatever digital intermediate and then people fuck with it there and then it's like okay well what's the point of like you're, now you're putting so much digital overlay on top of that footage. Um, I think, like, I'm no expert. I've never made a movie on film. But I think the people like Christopher Nolan or, you know, that's a modern-day filmmaker you can think of that still uses film. A lot of that is figured out in pre-production, like setting up the lighting and the temperature of the lights and filters that you put on the lights itself. A lot of that is because they never had those digital intermediates in in the 80s or 70s you know yeah being able to put filters on after the fact like i i believe you could but a lot of that is figured out with the lights while you're shooting and with the lenses and filters you put on the lenses and and kind of stuff like that all within the within the actual camera shot so there it's 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 a much riskier shoot it's a much riskier way of making a movie because one you can't watch back what you just shot you're just like all right i hope i got what i needed to get there and also you're hitting and missing every time uh with this movie with um what you're talking about here with hateful aid they shot a lot of their 70 millimeter shots outside right yeah large landscapes and when you're shooting outside now you're depending on one light source being the sun which is your which is can be your best friend or your worst enemy like the sun's moody the sun changes there could be cloud giving you like the greatest shot of all time and 10 minutes later that cloud's gone and your whole day is ruined so and on film that that becomes its own set of issues so come yeah, quinn's the in, type in the of guy m- to to probably risk that because when you look at the landscape Absolutely. shots yeah in the movie it well is... can you imagine can you imagine it being made on digital after you after you watch it like the way you watch it no you know god no like it it benefit like here's the thing though like you shouldn't just film on film to film on film if that makes sense at all Mm -hmm. like you have to have some sort of vision at hand where film is more beneficial don't just do something that's harder for the sake of it because it's harder like you should really plan out sure your movie in a way to where it, it benefits using the uh the film and i think Quinn did that perfectly yeah uh i i agree with that that's it's it's a testament to like just pulling off shots like people 
normally wouldn't think twice about oh here's a two set like just two seconds of a mountain range landscape you know like just just a passing by shot but Quentin Tarantino is a meticulous filmmaker like he would have spent a day setting up that shot or something so much respect to the filmmakers who can who are still pushing that as an option you know we're keeping that even alive um yeah it's it's I I really hope one day I can like I can mess with film that would be like like scary like the idea of it is scary because it's it's film it's not digital has a lot of safety nets and film is once you have it you have it there's no going back and adjusting it after the fact so i think that idea just lends itself to like another level of creativity and and making movies just it's it's more permanent it's more in the moment you know yeah that's why i still and i think i still like even that go ahead sorry no okay even that quality of like where the magic of film comes from, I think that's captured on film for like very legitimate reasons, right? Because if you think about like how film captures light and creates an image from it on celluloid paper and then you put, you stitch enough of those frames together, you get a moving image and then you get a scene or you get a shot and then you edit multiple shots together, you get a scene. Like that is like a very magical thing that we're able to make, like do that and produce that. So we, we shouldn't let up on those things either. Yeah, there's something about like physical connections when it comes to humans that just adds so much more. I don't know. It just adds this extra quality. And it's why I like having vinyl instead of, um, well, obviously I still listen yeah. to, to Spotify, but like yeah, on the go. But like I still like sure, having Spotify's this... not going anywhere, but no. when you have vinyl as an option, you're appreciating it. Right? Yeah, and I have this physical copy of the music and it means so mm. much more to me where certain mm-hmm. albums mean way more to me because I'm able to pick it up. I'm able to open for it. Sure. I'm able for to sure. read the, the, the lyric book. Um, yeah, man, I have there's a act- sense of ownership. There's a sense of like a material connection to like that, that album. Like even like the idea of like your first album, you know, can you, can you remember that first song you downloaded that first album you downloaded? Like where it posts, like when you go out and you buy a vinyl or a cassette or a CD, like that's a tangible memory. Dude, yeah. Right? Like I can literally remember when I went out and I bought my favorite vinyl. I went to some sure. old, not old. Anyways, not not like a, not a Sunrise Records. I went to like an actual mom and pop vinyl shop. Right. And, yeah, vintage, uh, vintage yeah. music. And I walked in and I was looking for my favorite artist, Jeff Beck. And I'm like, you got any Jeff Beck? He's like, yeah. And I went and I have an actual Jeff Beck vinyl from the 70s, an original. And it didn't cost me much because no one really listens to Jeff Beck. He's sort of like my niche artist that I love to no extent. Um, and like it's it's so weird holding this physical copy of something that I love so much that's so old. And like who knows the history behind this thing? And I can just plug it into my vinyl player and listen yeah. to something that hundreds of people probably listen to it It literally lives. has a history it has a story right yeah. like people are probably the journey that off that, of it man sure there you go i was just gonna say this the journey that that vinyl took to get from where it did to you it's probably mm-hmm. has it probably has a story to tell and i can feel the love and when yeah. quentin uses like actual film <coughs> to benefit his shots to benefit his movie I can mm-hmm. feel the love come through the screen. So I don't yeah. know. That, part of that is why I love Hateful Eight so much. And of course, the characters are amazing. Yeah. Some of his best written characters, um, for sure, I think, play off. Like, uh, what's his name? Fucking Kurt. What's his fucking last name? The, Kurt Russell? 
Not Kurt Russell. Yeah, he's yeah, the main, yeah. main character. In the his movie, right? uh, John Ruth. In the, in the yeah, movie. John Ruth, the Hangman. Yeah, his one of my favorite characters, like in a Quentin Tarantino movie, just uh, like such a perfect like uh, movie character. You know what I mean? Like he's so outlandishly like. Oh yeah, he's like and loud. He's overact, like not overacted, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. It you feels like a movie. He's not man. overacting, but yeah, he's not overacting, but he's like a smidge down from playing it over the top. You know? Yeah, exactly. I I love his performance. I don't know. It's it's a little. It's not even like nuanced. It's just fun. He's having fun. It's it's and like the f- opposite of nuance. It's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But um, it is still nuanced. I don't even know uh, if, if, if like that's a bad way of putting it. But yeah, it's it's fantastic. I, just uh, I think for you, you're ne- you should definitely check out Once Upon a Time. Definitely. Yeah, I'm gonna try. I, I gotta mm-hmm. find a way. Um, what's his name? Fucking, I just watched the movie. Where is he? Jesus. Uh, uh, is this him? Oh please, don't do this to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, the 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 new sheriff Chris Mannix is is probably my favorite character in the movie. I don't know why he's like this sneezily little weasel that eventually sort of comes around and 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 forms some sort of bond with um Samuel Jackson's character, and he has like a, mm-hmm. a nice three hour redemption arc within the movie. Yeah, like uh, it, oh, it's yeah. it's great. Yeah. I love, I love 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 the last scene. When, when it's just him and, and Jim Jackson's character and they're trying to cut a deal and just, I don't know. It's it's a great movie. Uh, maybe we could do a, a full review on some Quentin movies later on, but because I don't, yeah, I, I could I, talk about this movie for hours, but um, yeah, yeah, I that's the that's the tricky thing. It's like even if we commit to doing like a Tarantino deep dive, like we could just get lost in either of his movies, like any, any or, you oh know? yeah, we for could, sure that they're length worthy conversations to have. Yeah. Which we will have eventually for sure. Um, yeah. What else? Uh, then I just played, oh, yeah. um, squads, squadrons, Star Wars squadrons. Yeah. Squadrons came out on Friday. If we've been gaming that a little bit on around over here, started with the campaign. Um, you started with the campaign too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how far are you in it before I like talk too deep? I don't want to give you any, I have no idea. Yeah. Don't give me any, I think I'm only like, two hours in i don't know i I think the last mission i did was when i was empire and the other empire general kind of came in and interfered with uh with the original plan so then he uh yeah so he is um he's gone to the rebel side now no 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 no. later on like when you're when when you're trying to trail the rebels and a star destroyer comes so, up to try to destroy. Okay, him. so are you are you past the prologue then? Yeah, I'm like past you're the past. You're in the bit where they're already destroyed the Death Star and shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, it's an interesting. It's a really interesting game. Uh, just the setup for it. So, EA went through a lot of shit, right, with their last Star Wars game to come out, Battlefront two, two three years ago now, um, where they basically launched an online casino for kids to like hustle them out of money and shit. Amen. And yeah, I mean, fuck like it, it turned video games upside down. I think it literally turned the, uh, the Dutch government to investigate EA and banned loot boxes. Yeah. Was it the Dutch government? I think multiple European governments did it. Uh, There was multiple investigations, but you're right. I think it was the Dutch that like 
outright ban them and there's still like investigations going on finally the dutch do something it's insane right? yeah sorry i, mean, I didn't say good that. for them no good for them to good for them to uh what's it called like condemn them right like it's like yeah they shouldn't be allowed to get away with what they tried to get away with but anyways it sucked because they ended up tanking a star wars game that had a lot of potential it still is a really fun game battlefront 2 and my favorite aspect of that game playing it was the starfighter assault mode just getting to like fly different starfighter ships in the star wars like arsenal of of different ships they had the pre from the prequels to the originals to the sequels even which are just the originals repainted thanks jj yep uh yep (laughs) and yeah that was my favorite mode i got lost for a second that was my favorite mode and so they're like let's just make an entire game off that mode and when i heard about that earlier this year i was two things i was really amped and i was concerned because anything ea does with video games now and star wars just has me concerned because i think they're fucking up the franchise for video games um it's like i just want a good star wars game right and last year we got that i think the star wars jedi fallen order yeah i never did played you get a that. chance to play that i never played it but I, I watched a lot of it this did you watch the story like go through the story yeah, I, I, I watched through the entire story yeah it's a good star wars story right like it's a good um kind of frame of the universe that they're they're i like i like how they're out of the skywalkers nothing to do with skywalkers anymore that's good and this is just an order 66 survival story which is one of my favorite eras of star wars which is like the transition yeah, dude, the into the prequels empire right finally got some fucking love dude out yeah it, yeah exactly like little pre- prequel love out here from disney yeah uh mainstream wise yeah yeah mainstream so, yeah, for prequel love which is hard to come by yeah and i get it's it. like an acceptance of an entire era yeah. an entire generation of people it's finally it's like we're getting that acceptance culturally now after years but uh so that game was kind of like the first indication that we could have good single player mainstream triple a games from ea not that they didn't exist and so this year they're like here's a 180 for you guys let's make a single player star wars story for half the cost essentially it's a 45 five dollar game fully based around starfighter gameplay and committing to the aspect of like simulating space combat, like more in depth uh, space gameplay kind of and space physics um, with multiplayer and all that. And EA kind of delivered, right? Like I'll start off by saying that it's a it's a fascinatingly interesting game because it it has no microtransactions when you would think like this game should be steeped in microtransactions. Like, they definitely it should, could. It should, they could do cosmetic ones, been, and I I would understand. Yeah. Yeah, from cosmetics to DLC to different ships to different characters you could have. Like this, it feels like this game was probably from inception designed to maybe do that. And then they were like, "Hold on, we don't want people to hate us, so let's scrap all that out." Um, and later on, I found, like now how I feel about it is like I almost wouldn't mind if they wanted to sell me more with this game because I'm having genuinely a really fun time playing it. And if they wanted to say, "Here's a DLC pack for twenty bucks with prequel era ships," I would buy it. I would for sure buy that. Oh, I'd buy it. Uh, I'd prefer it. I think that was the first thing me and you talked about. Was like, yeah. why can't we play as prequel ships, right? I think that they'll do it eventually. They have to. This this game has to, to make money. It's got good press. People are yeah. playing it on on Twitch. I think I think it'll make some good money, and they could do stuff. 
I hope so. It's it, it. I hope it has a longevity to it where it's kind of like they, they're already kind of setting up that seasons, multiple seasons and multiplayer. So I hope they're kind of like, yeah, let's let's elongate the uh, longevity of the game by giving some new ships, giving some new maps. Because right now I think my main problem with the game is the lack of variety. Overall, I think there's only two game modes. Uh, there's only there's one story which is pretty long i'm not gonna lie i'm still not done it and quick about the story it's it's a fascinating story it's a really fascinating story the overall plot's fascinating i am not thrilled with the characters yet yes um characters there's maybe three characters i like i like frisk on the rebel side that's yeah. basically it. I don't know. I've never seen a good guy, Bosk species before, whatever yeah. those guys are called. Yeah. So he's he's just I don't know. He's fun to have around. There's is his name friend on the on the imperial side where he can't take Shen his, the guy Shen, yeah, mask. He, he uh, can't take his burned. Yeah, can't yeah. take his mask off. That guy's cool. And yeah. then Gray on the imperial side is also pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm three for three with that too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, so far, the imperials are much cooler. Oh yeah. Wise, oh god. I yeah. fuck with them. Yeah. What do you prefer though, X Wings or Tie Fighters so far? Ooh, I I started off thinking X Wings, right? Mm-hmm. Thinking like, oh yeah, the field of view is better and shit. Then I realized that doesn't matter as much because you almost want less distraction. You want a focused field of view or kind of scope. So the Tie Fighter scope is almost perfect just to kind of zero you in. And and so then we started talking about it. I I really we both kind of really like the Interceptor class. Right, playing. With I haven't one. played a tie interceptor yet. I've played the um, a wing. Have you played? Yeah, yeah. A wing was same, incredible, man. Almost the same I thing. fucking. Yeah. I love how every ship feels so different, man. Yes. In, in, like, there's and, there's classes of their own with yeah. different uh, high points, low points, all that stuff. And you would think like they just go the laser route and make like X wings equivalent to tie fighters and tie fighters equivalent to X wings, but no, they function way way differently. Yeah. It's a completely yeah. different. Like they're in the they're same different systems, cl- they're different the same game class mechanics. Ship. They're like the overall yeah, but different the, game mechanics going yeah. on, right? Because with the entire Republic fleet, you have the access to shields, and with the with the empires, they don't give you shields. But you can like overdrive your engines or overdrive your yeah. blasters. You're you're overall faster. You can be faster. You can be stronger. Um, and yeah, there's just a variety of different setup and different class loadouts you can do. Um, and I'll tell you this right now, my favorite thing to play with is super underrated is the tie reaper. Like I am melting mans with the tie reaper, bro, because nobody, no, everybody's hopping in tie interceptors in like a dogfight game thinking, oh yeah, I want to be fast and I want to dodge enemies and shit. And they don't realize when you're a big ass ship in the middle of the map, you're just open season for people to come to you. And the tie reaper is like three clicks on the trigger and just melt the face off of an A-wing. So, um, yeah, I'm having fun with that. With the ion cannons? With the, just the lasers. I, I barely relied, relied on my secondary. I realized I was like on a six kill streak. I hadn't used my secondary. I was just melting them with lasers. So you've been playing like just, online death matches or what? I was, I was playing dog fights. Yeah. Which is like team death match almost. Yeah. I, I thought uh, I didn't yeah. like the Reaper at first. I played with the Reaper and the campaign and, um, I thought I didn't like it at first, but like. I don't know. Everything just once you understand how to pilot something, everything just kind of falls into place and everything feels good. It, it's yeah. it's hard to explain. Everything just feels good once you understand like what you're doing. It's kind of like learning any to drive anything. Yeah, it, there's a learning experience. So for real shit, there's yeah. a there's a real learning experience because 
the campaign kind of guides you to it you'll you'll see yourself progressing and like cheney said each game mechanic like each aspect of a controlling a starfighter you you have to be like you can become a master at it so whether that be throttling whether that be switching targeting like your targeting system and like it feels very star warsy to talk about and play because like all of this i think is referenced from the movies like for sure right so like when when luke is about to fucking hit his trench run and he puts his targeting system away right just a little reference to the targeting system and like how important that plays into the overall game that's filled in in this whole whole game they take every aspect that was ever like whispered in the movies and they made it a real life function in the game they made your they 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 gave you purpose from switching from like your engines to your weapons to your shields and the direction of your shields like these are all very detailed things that you can tell only star wars fans could come up with this shit like not a corporation not a billion dollar like think group that said let's make a multiplayer game because multiplayer games sell well like no this was people that enjoyed the classic like x-wing games of the 90s um and and remade that essentially it's a really fun arcadey game like there's no other way to go about it it's just a really fun game i wouldn't necessarily call it arcadey it's more of a simulation game as much as, as it's as almost far in as the you, middle of that. yeah, as yeah, far yeah. As it, it, it is simulatory but yeah because you can't really sim- simulate real life things that don't exist if that makes sure <laughs> sure <laughs> Right? So like no, obviously I'll, I'll you need to take, you, that. <laughs> you need to take some exceptions. So um, it, it's it's as much of it's a fantasy simulator. But when you when you start doing like dog fights and like uh, it it feels like that. I guess like when I say arcadey, I mean in the sense of really losing yourself in a competitive game uh, and in a shooter. I guess more or less, it, it feels really arcadey like that. Like this is the type of game that. Nine, 20 years ago was an arcade game just flying a starship and dogfighting AI enemies right like this was in every arcade and they've taken that to a next level and I've been playing uh, on, on the I literally invested in taking out Smart M for investing in this genie I bought the flight throttle and stick for this game right Yeah. a month or two months ago before this game came out and I was playing Microsoft Flight Simulator for it right it was like $100 like $90 at the time and this game came out and Microsoft Flight Simulator came out. They're sold out. Every flight simulator is sold out everywhere, right? That dinky cheap one that I bought is like $300, $400 on eBay right now. You're kidding. People are trying to buy it for. Do you find it's easier? Because of this game. Than, What's that? Is it? Do you think it'd be easier with the stick versus a controller? Right. So here's my criticisms with the game. Uh, they supposedly, like, they said at launch it was supposed to be full HOTAS support, which is, like, the hands-on thrick and, uh, throttle and stick. Thrick. Throttle and stick. Um, it, was supposed to, it, it was supposed to be full support for that, but out of the box right now, there is a pretty big, like, lag or a glitch where there's, like, a massive dead zone. Um, so the sensitivity is not perfect. So I was playing it... I, I mean, I could... I A lot of people are reporting, like, really bad dead zone issues like it's unusable with a throttle so controller right now is like the best way to play it multiplayer or whatever like just to be accurate uh, i was playing with my throttle for the campaign and i wasn't having terrible problems like aiming was a bit struggle a bit of a struggle and whatever but like the immersiveness was like you could not beat the amount of immersion that a throttle and a, a stick came with you know the the literal like 
physicality and shunting your engines and and switching power to throttles like it really makes you feel like you're in a cockpit no lie like and then i put the led lights around and all that shit like yeah i got lost for a couple hours for real um i still can't i drift. hope that they yeah i and and oh yeah don't even talk about the drifting man that gets me gets me amped i can't the drift drifting in this game i don't know you how can't drift i i like i did it by accident in the campaign to get by yeah, that part yeah. And then I haven't been able to do it since. I don't know how it's to do it. It's not what you think. It's it's not what you think. Like I thought it the way it is is like you throttle up super fast, bring your power to your engine, and then turn and throttle down. Mm-hmm. And I guess you can do it like that technically, but like to do a proper drift, you put your power to your en- engines, mm-hmm. boost fully, mm-hmm. and then boost again and turn. So you, you boost twice, and on the second boost, you make the turn. Okay. So try so do try you, it like that next time. So do you boost then turn or do you turn and then hit the boost button? You boost and then turn on the second one. Okay. So first you boost to gain your speed yeah. and then you hit the boost button again and then turn. Okay. That makes more so sense. Then it, it gives you, yeah, it that gives tutorial you um, fucking sucks, a quicker man. turn. Yeah, the tutorial is it's massively confusing because it doesn't even tell you that that's how you do it. It just tells you to shut your engines off. down or whatever. Yeah. yeah, it's it's that's not the way. No. I don't think they even know that there's like a faster, uh, like a boost drift. But like that is once you get those things, you'll you'll see yourself becoming a better multiplayer because or like online player because people don't know that yet. People don't know all these nuanced detail in the gameplay. Dude, there's um, so much. So it excites me in, on a competitive level. There's so much shit that you have to remember to do for each ship. It's it's a little yeah. Overwhelming, each ship plays different. Yeah, but, but eventually, yeah, that's what it eventually leads to mastery, which is like you know attainable. And it's, mm. it'd be fun to see how uh, how well I can do, how well I can get at this game. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I think there's gonna be like longevity. Like I'm for sure gonna be like keeping up with it, at least until Cyberpunk comes out. Like this will be the game oh, I'm God. on. Cyberpunk is so. Then cool. Cyberpunk Cyberpunk will just like melt everybody's computers for the rest of the year. November nineteenth, I think, is the official official launch. Well, today the game went gold. As of today, when we're recording, um, I think the game is done. Fully. Okay, good. And I think now they're just. I they also did announce though that they're in. They're gonna be in crunch for the next couple of weeks, so that that's like overworked, pretty much. Yeah. Throughout the throughout the week, which sucks for the staff, for the people who are making the game. They, they work like video game developers apparently work like insane hours, like laborious, laborious hours. Uh, so they're doing that to finish the game, I guess. Not. That may be worth it though. I can't wait to play it. I hope so. I hope it's it's it lives up to the to what we see. I've been looking for a yeah. proper RPG experience in Skyrim, and there hasn't really like a first right. person RPG experience. It hasn't really been one. Like Fallout Four kind of sucked because there wasn't really like RPG elements. You can't really make your own character. Like you can right. you can design your own character, but like the dialogue options were atrocious. And then Fallout seventy six, of course, was an absolute dumpster fire. And then hmm. um, I've heard so much fun stuff about that game. Uh, and then I just watch um, YouTube videos to see people trashing it, but I've been yeah I've been waiting for an RPG to get into. I I've not gone into Skyrim. I didn't get into Fallout, so hopefully this is the RPG, which I think it will be. Cyberpunk is pretty much my lane. There was Obsidian, it's, which yeah. is which is a studio um, who made because usually Bethesda makes the Fallout games, um, yeah. But they um, I think I wasn't I wouldn't call it an outsource, but Obsidian made. Uh, a Fallout game called Fallout New Vegas, which is often praised as the best Fallout game. So, and now Obsidian and Bethesda are, are buddies at Xbox. Yeah, 
but Obsidian came out with a game called The Outer Worlds, which is like their yeah. their play on Fallout. In a way, mm-hmm. it wasn't like a um, post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland. It was uh, like alien space right? colony like stuff. Yeah, very retro alieny. Yeah. Okay, real quick though, real quick before we get onto another game, I just wanted to talk about the uh, the campaign for Squadrons, the story. Like coming from the perspective of Star Wars fans like us, right? How does this Star Wars story? Like I I'm I have a very detailed eye, not a detailed. I don't want to say I'm a fucking pretentious master at Star Wars because I'm not, but I pay attention to the stories that are coming out even in video games or comics or whatever just to see how are they managing this treasure trove of a universe, right? So this game has a story mode longer than I expected. And I think the most interesting part for me, the thing I like about it the most is that it's told from like a really grounded perspective of the Star Wars universe from basically the grunts, the real soldiers of Star Wars. And it's completely told through a military, militaristic point of view. And you are, you're, you're kind of brought along with the Empire and the New Republic. And I, I was always kind of wondering in the movies, like, what is the psychology behind anybody in the Empire? Are they slaves? Are they brainwashed? Do they know what they're doing? Do they believe in what they're doing? Do they have no other choice? And there's not much perspective on that. There's not many stories on that. And this kind of gives you an aspect of that from a kind of ensemble, from a group point of view. So you get different varieties, different opinions kind of coming out in in this squadron of, of TIE, TIE fighter pilots, right? Um, and even in general, the Empire, right? So this primarily is set after the Death Star is destroyed. The Rebels have won, so they're now the New Republic. And... The empire is crumbling. So I think one of the interesting things I found out is the empire is literally crumbling, and they're like there's a lot of inverse fighting amongst the empire. There is distrust after the empire emperor is dead. There is uh, generals and admirals who are trying to seize power for themselves, which is a really empire thing to do. So in an in-universe kind of way, it's like the story has progressed, like in a really believable way post uh, Endor. And this is also like the first outside of um, the Mandalorian and the sequel trilogy. This is not the first, I guess, and but this is an aspect of that sequel era that we don't know much about. So I guess we learn more about the idea that the Empire is really fractured and shattered and at odds with each other. And there's one mission I won't get into too much detail, but you are like literally trying to defend the rebels from the empires while you're playing against the Empire. And it's like a really confusing situation for the TIE pilots, but it's like a necessary situation that you're in. So there's a lot of these also like moral dilemmas, like constantly placed in not like it's not a philosophical game. It's not too deep or whatever, but it's it's it is there's an effort in the story, at least. Um, So that's that's one of the good things I found out with that. But one of the criticisms, I guess, for the story, and I'm sure you probably feel this way about it right now, too, is just that gameplay aside which i can only say good things about and say it's like an incredibly immersive game the story is like the least immersive thing possible you're literally like fed the story you're given the story like by pressing a button and then you go to a character and then they tell you some dialogue and then you hop in your starship like i really wish this game kind of committed to the immersive level and maybe gave you dialogue tree options or 
gave you expressibility as a character and lets you figure out information because literally everything is given through to dialogue. So if you miss information, then you miss a part of the story. There's no, there's no engagement, right? It doesn't help. And in that a the, Star Wars story, the, you really want engagement. Yeah, it doesn't help that the dialogue is not engaging whatsoever. It's just I don't know. Right. It seems so. It's not the best writing. No. It's just like you're talking to someone and then all of a sudden you know their life story. You're like, okay, well, I never did yeah. ask. Like, There's like one girl in the Empire who's constantly like, oh, my family was a bunch of em- Emperor Senators. And here's that's the cool thing, I guess. So you're learning about like families in, in the Star Wars universe or different point of views. Like a lot of that is kind of like really handful, like in handfuls just shoved into your face. Like that girl's family backstory or whatever. But I found it interesting, right? Like us coming from the prequels and and just pe- us as people who really like key in on details of Star Wars, right? That what she gives you of that information pertains to the greater Star Wars universe in a pretty big way where she's like, basically, this is just one example, but it stuck with me where she's like, oh, I really, her point of view was, I really wish the emperor didn't dissolve the Imperial or the Imperial Senate that, and this is a reference back to episode four. Right, like one of the inciting incidents in Episode Four is um, when um, not Moff Tarkin, but one of the Moffs comes in uh, to the boardroom where Vader is, and he says to Moff Tarkin and Vader that the that the no Tarkin does say it actually. He says the final remnants of the the old Republic are over. The Emperor has dissolved the Senate, and so now we have actual totalitarian control or whatever. So in that interaction in the, in this Squadrons game, you learn. Okay, not everybody agreed with the emperor, and and she's saying it like under her breath. She's like, "Oh yeah, it's not that I don't disagree. It's not that I don't believe in the emperor. It's like don't get me wrong, I still love the emperor. Everybody loves the emperor, but she has her beliefs of how things should be run in the universe, and it's it, it's just interesting. It's just those little things. It's like it's not enough to carry an entire story, but I guess having those details is like it still makes it fun. I guess to 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 engage with in in as little as you do. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just don't find the... Uh, like, having to talk to them when I, like... Yeah, I don't you know. don't want to. I don't want to talk to them. I don't, I don't want to talk to them. I just want to get to the, the shooty fly-fly. To the fly. briefing? Shoot. You want to get in and out of the briefing and back in your starship. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's, it's just, like, if anything... It's hard to... I don't know. It's hard to explain how I just don't find the characters engaging. Mm-hmm. I find like the most shallow characters the the most fun, like the most surface yeah, level I characters like, the most. Yeah, fun. well, because even with them they add nuance, right? Like Shen is just like he's like I'm not gonna take my mask off because because I got burned a couple times or like he's just you know he's just like uh what what do you say? He can't take his mask You'd, off because of like he explosions. Can't take his mask and, off, like his right. neck got broken and they had to like make cybernetics. But over and over again, like he's just like my fifth time in crashing in a in a starfighter. Or in a tie, in a tie, uh, fucking fighter. Uh, I broke my vertebrae six, my my sixth vertebrae. You're like your sixth time, bro. Like, give it a break. And then, it, like, that's his whole thing. He's like, I'm never gonna stop being a tie fighter pilot. Yeah. And like, whatever. And that's cool. Like, like from yeah, a yeah, you're cool, level. man. I fuck with you, bro. Yeah. I, w- I would watch a comic. I would watch a Disney Plus show on Shen, just Shen. Well, if, as long as they get the same voice actor. Sure. Because that guy's incredible. But here's, here's an interesting here's an interesting bit. This is not much of a spoiler because I don't think they're gonna 
go anywhere with it in the story. I think this is more of a throwaway thing. But there is allusions to people within the Empire Squad having the Force or being connected to the Force. Did you say illusions? Illusions. Or illusions. Delusions. 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 No, I said illusions. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. Uh, I couldn't help myself. No, no, Cheney. I would have done the same thing. That I, I gave that one to you. And you were witty enough to see it. You were witty enough to see it right there. Thank you. I'll give that to you. God damn. Because now, whenever I whenever I hear anything of a reference to that movie, I won't get Tom, or not Tom, Robert Pattinson's voice out of my head for like the, the rest of the night. And I'm just going to hear that squeaky pitched southern crawl, southern drawl. Mm -hmm. See, that's worth for something. Fucking the next four or five hours. Like, when, it is, I guess. When like, it's haunting. Yeah. Like when you... like. Robert Pattinson's character left an impression on us. And people yeah. made fun of him. It's like that, we're, that we're character is now. Movie. It's a great movie, but yeah. I don't I don't want to say iconic, like give it some breathing room, but like definitely memorable. Yeah, yeah. Give it some breathing rooms, but I think it'll be um I think it'll be remembered in his catalog because he did something interesting with it. He did he didn't it's not forgettable, it won't be forgettable. Um the movie might not be remembered by the masses, but I think his performance probably will be. Uh, okay, I actually was thinking about uh, this today. Uh, yeah. Before we before we talk about squadrons and then get on with the boys, um, I think we're done squadrons unless you want to keep going on. About okay, it. no, no, I'm, I'm done with squadrons. But yeah, what were you saying? Um, I just want to put this on the record. Robert Pattinson is getting an Oscar within the next twelve years. I'm calling it. I <laughs> I, I honestly I, I will. That's not a hard bet to take. That's a large window of time that you're giving a really good actor in his prime. To get an Oscar. No, I'm serious, man. I don't know. Yeah. Like <laughs> I would agree with you. Twelve years yeah, that within twelve years for sure. Well, I don't know. I don't I would say I would say within five years. Five I years? I can't say five, five years. years. I can't say five years. I could say five years. Yes. I think look at amount the amount of quality pro or projects he's getting thrown at him. It's just a matter of time he gets the right project. It literally is just a matter of time. Oh man, I'd ugh, I'd love to see him in a Quentin Tarantino movie. I think he's a. That'd I think he's a Tarantino really guy. I think he's a Tarantino. You think so? Yeah, I think he. Could. I can't. I can't see it right now. I can't see it right now. You don't think, think he could I be a Tarantino guy? I think he could be, but I don't know what that would be like. I can't imagine it. I lack the imagination to see what that is right now. Tarantino has to show me what that can. Be. I didn't think you know Channing I mean? Tatum would be a Tarantino guy, but he fucking proved me wrong there too. So that's valid. Super valid point. There's a lot of people that Tarantino just makes Tarantinoed. You know, like he Tarantinos them. Uh, he he makes Leonardo DiCaprio a Tarantino actor, you know, like like he he brings everybody down to such a range, like just of such a flexible range. So yeah, seeing how what he would allow or what kind of direction he would give to uh, Pattinson would just be it'd be weird. It'd be weird. I'm not gonna lie. It'd be fantastic, and you'd know it. Because I'd be excited. I'd be excited. Uh. Excuse me. Sorry. Anyways, let's um. You want to talk about The Boys Season 2, Episode 7?